next week, we will be returning with number 32 on the AFI Top 100. God damn it. <laughs> I ripped a page I needed off. No! There's nothing here. Hold on. That's pretty good. <laughs> you, this needs to be our uh, our opener. Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are back with number 33 on <gasps> AFI's Top 100. 33. This is 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Jack Nicholson. Oh my God, Jack. Jackie boy. Grimma Wormtongue. Oh my God! Yes, Grima Wormtongue, who was kind of a good-looking young man, right? Uh, I was a little surprised by that, right? He's I was I, I was like I know it took me actually a minute. I was like I know this guy from somewhere because those he's got that those eyes and that look on his face. He does that look. Mm-hmm. I actually had to look it up on IMDb. I, it took me a few minutes. I didn't have to look him up, but I did recognize a couple of the other characters. We we've also got Danny DeVito. Oh my gosh, I know that's him and I still can't believe it. I know, it doesn't, I, it took me a long time. It took me like probably three quarters of the movie and I was like, who is, because I said to myself, there's a there's a shot where he walks through the hallway and I was like, he's a short little dude. And then I Googled him real quick and I was like, oh fuck, that's Danny DeVito. Also, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Before he went back to the future. Before he went back to the future. Uh, also... Another uh, character or another actor that is that we have seen in this podcast before in our off week episodes, uh, Scatman Crothers. Yep, he's also in The Shining with Jack Nicholson. Yes. Uh, so this is a this is a pretty star studded cast, and they're all sort of in understated roles. Of course, mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson being the complete lead with Brad. Is it Dorif or Dorif? Dorif, I would say, but I could with be Brad Dorif, Grandma Wormtongue, being maybe a closer second. I guess Chief really takes over the film at a certain point. True, yeah. It, I mean, aside from Jack Nicholson and the actress that plays Nurse Ratchet, everybody else is sort of it, the rest of it is sort of an ensemble cast. But even even Nurse Ratchet and Jack Nicholson, like if we see them as the major protagonist and the major antagonist their screen time is not that much more than the rest of the characters, right? Like this is an ensemble movie, I think for the most part. I agree. Well, Ethan, we've set the stage. So why don't you give us a plot synopsis? Um, I sure will. So one flew over the cuckoo's nest is the story of Randall McMurphy played by Jack Nicholson, who has been moved to a mental institution after serving part of his sentence in prison doing hard labor. McMurphy, who is probably not mentally ill, has been put under observation to determine exactly that, right? Is he mentally ill or is he trying to get out of work detail? He finds himself in a ward run by the tyrannical nurse Ratched, who rules the ward with a strange, detached authoritarian logic 
While in the ward, McMurphy makes friends with most of the patients and tries to use his charismatic outlook to convince them to act more logically, though he also manipulates them to make his stay more comfortable. McMurphy's approach butts heads with Ratched's calm and, again, detached demeanor, and after several battles of wits with her, he steals a bus and escapes with a group of the patients. He takes them deep-sea fishing on a charter boat that they steal. After this jaunt with the men, McMurphy learns that his stay in the ward may be indefinite despite his short sentence and feels betrayed by the other inmates. Most of the other men, of course, are staying voluntarily rather than being committed themselves. After one patient throws a fit because his cigarettes have been confiscated, McMurphy and his quote-unquote deaf and mute Native American friend referred to as Chief fight the orderlies, prompting electroshock therapy for the two of them and the third man. While McMurphy and Chief wait for their turns, Chief reveals that he's been faking and he can both speak and hear. After their punishment, McMurphy plans both an escape and a Christmas party for the men on the ward or on the floor. Later, he sneaks two women into the ward with a large amount of booze, and he bribes the orderly, played by Scatman Crothers. McMurphy's friend Billy, who has committed himself because of his history of suicide attempts, among other things, desires a quote-unquote date with one of the women named Candy. McMurphy arranges for the two to have sex, putting off his escape that evening. McMurphy falls asleep while the two have sex and awakens to Nurse Ratched's arrival in the morning. She finds Billy and Candy together and threatens to tell his mother. She has him removed from the other men, and while he waits in a small office room, Billy kills himself. McMurphy, seeing Ratchet is responsible, tries to strangle her, but is beaten into submission. A few weeks later, pieces return to the ward. The men discuss rumors about McMurphy, and late one night, he is returned to the ward. Chief wakes up and approaches McMurphy's bed to discover that he's been lobotomized. Chief then smothers him in an act of mercy and escapes using a method McMurphy had attempted unsuccessfully months before. So not necessarily a happy ending. No, not what I... Well, I I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, this film begins and ends. I, I thought this was really interesting. It begins and ends with these sort of still shots of nature and i don't think they're the same shot i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure they're not and so for what it's worth chief does like return to the world and not just the world but like this sort of empty uh you know, sort of scenic view of nature. So I guess in some ways it's a, it's a happy ending for chief, but certainly not for any of the other men and definitely not for McMurphy. Right. Well, we don't actually know if chief is going to be successful in this escape plan. We don't know a whole lot about chief except for he's very strong Mm -hmm. and watched his father drink himself to death. Right. And that was obviously traumatic for him, but we don't know if he's, able to pull off this escape we actually don't even know if mcmurphy is really able to pull off the escape we've seen some stuff that indicates he can get out 
but can he stay out? Can he stay out of trouble? We are introduced to McMurphy really early on in the head therapist or doctor's office, mm-hmm. and they're talking about all of his repeated trips to prison. So I don't really get the indication that McMurphy was going to pull off this any better than Chief might or might not. Well, right, and we, and what's so interesting about that question, right, like can McMurphy actually leave um we have that shot of him while Billy and Candy, you know, go off to have sex. And McMurphy has the key to unlock the the barred up windows. Um, and, and, and he unlocks the, the window and can climb out, right? And there's that there's that sort of I would say it's probably thirty seconds, this shot, of just Jack Nicholson thinking about going right like he thinks about going and and i don't know i guess i guess he bounces this idea back and forth in his head and jack nicholson's performance is just out of this world in this film and and so you see his conflict and he and he decides not to go right and then he gets the chance again he gets the chance again like when nurse ratchet has come in and the two girls have been kicked out of the ward and they're literally calling like come on come on and he looks at the window and, and, and thinks about it, right? But does not try to unlock the padlock again, right? Because he's locked it to, to hide his, his trail. And so, I, well, and even when he escapes to get to the bus, right? Like, we see him really easily climb the fence. And I assumed that he would just walk on out. But instead, he hides in the bus and takes the men, right? Like he could have left and he doesn't. So he gets these opportunities to go, but, but decides not to. And that I think is, is both interesting and, and, and then says a lot about his character. Yeah. It's this moment that you mentioned specifically at the party when he's staring at the window that I wanted to talk about because it does seem built off that same empathy with the, patience of yeah. the floor that he's become to be friends with billy specifically but you know others like martini and even the guy he doesn't like i think his name's howard yeah and that bus escape to go fishing does seem to be one of those it seems like mcmurphy is just wanting to have fun and maybe you could argue well he simply hasn't resolved to escape to canada yet so yeah it doesn't mean anything necessarily that he doesn't escape then but certainly that moment where he is saying his goodbyes, getting out the window, basically, and then talking to Billy and thinking, you know, I feel for this kid. He's my friend. I want to help him. And let's not understate it. It's a pretty twisted way that he's choosing to help Billy and the way that Candy is just passed around. And then what makes that even weirder before they lock them in the like solitary cell to have sex is that, he tells Candy he loves her and kisses her. And it's like, I don't really understand your personal politics. Well, well, right. And I think I think this goes back to, you know, Jack Nicholson's performance as McMurphy uh, offers us a character that is in many ways a deplorable, awful human being. He he's a violent criminal. He Technically a rapist. Yeah, technically he's committed statutory rape, right? Which I think we can assume is with Candy. He's a bad guy, right? Like he's not a good person. But 
his interactions with these men in in the institution show him in so many ways as someone who is empathetic, someone who who truly seems to care about these people, right? He tries to spur them into action, right? He tries to spur them into I guess what he sees as a as recovery, right? Like his motivations seem positive, but but in doing that, he is willing to he's willing to abuse you know nurse ratchet he's willing to abuse the the doctors the psychologists or psychiatrists or whatever he's willing to abuse candy and her friend he's willing to abuse scatman crothers character the the orderly right like he he's such a complex character that is someone who you both are rooting for but also like you it's very obvious that he is a bad guy right um, and, and I think the film really asks us to think, like, what does it mean to be a good person, right? Like, what actions count and what actions don't count, right? We learn immediately that he, is, he assaults people. He has, you know, statutorily raped this young girl. Um, he's probably faking his mental illness to get out of work detail. You know, he does incite violence or at the very least chaos in this in this ward right like he does things that are not good but often his motivations seem to be for for the most part or at least sometimes maybe not even for the most part his motivations seem somewhat positive right but then i think at the same time he's doing this shit so that he can just watch the world series so it's such a hard question to ask like is he a good character or not i i don't know well, Ethan, this is actually a really good part to bring in our pivotal scene because yes. it concerns a couple of things you've already mentioned, the idea of therapy and recovery and also the World Series. Ah, I know what scene you're going to choose. Yeah, the scene I chose is where they're in group and they're talking about whatever they're talking about and then it's raised again about the World Series because they've already been voted down. Right. And... One of the patients says, I've never seen a baseball game. And I feel like, you know, maybe that could be a form of therapy or a form of recovery. Right. And they take the revote, which Ratchet, of course, shuts down in perhaps an even more sadistic way by, you know, just like really gerrymandering the vote, as it were, mm -hmm. which kind of cements her as, as prime antagonist. But it's yeah. this notion about what is recovery and I think it complicates all the things we talked about with McMurphy in that, is he in this for right reasons? Is it simply just to watch the World Series? Or is he actually wanting to share an experience with his friends in this way? Right. So let's go ahead and play it. Billy, why did you want to marry her? Well, I was in love, in love with her. Your mother told me that you never told her about it. Billy, why didn't you tell her about it? Wasn't that the first time you tried to commit suicide? Oh, my God. Yes, Mr. Cheswick? Miss Ratchet, I'd like to ask you a question, please. Go ahead. 
Okay, uh, you know, if, uh, Billy doesn't feel like, uh, talking, I mean, uh, why are you pressing him? Why, why can't we go on to some new business, huh? The business of this meeting, Mr. Cheswick, is therapy. Oh. Well, you know, I, I don't understand this, Miss Ratchet, because, uh, I don't, uh, Mr. McMurphy, he said something yesterday about a, a World Series, a baseball game. You know, and I've never been to a baseball game, and, well, I think I'd like to see one. And that'd be good therapy, too, wouldn't it, Miss Ratchet? I thought we decided that issue. Well, I, uh, I, I don't think so, because, I mean, we uh, discussed that yesterday, and uh, we have a, a new game today, I think, don't we, Mac? That's right, Jess, and we want a new vote on it, don't we? So the thing I like about this is that it's not McMurphy manipulating the situation initially. I think once he gets called into it and he starts saying, oh, we want to revote," and then trying to get people to vote with him, that that's something, and it might not be wholly good, but his patients, fellow patients, his friends recognize some value in what McMurphy is offering. And I'm wondering if this is not any indication that he is kind of seeing them as valuable in and of themselves. And I think the scene that happens pretty much immediately after where he freaks out, yells at Ratchet, and goes sits down in front of the TV right. and decides to pretend the baseball game is on yes, and gets all everyone right. excited, that I'm not so sure that's malicious after he starts. Like I think he's doing it to inspire hope. Yeah. I think he's doing it to share that experience, even though we can call it vicarious at best. I think it's kind of a beautiful moment. No, I agree. And I think that like the, the true conflict in this film at the end of the day comes down to, you know, McMurphy's approach to because because I think that I think that he wants to make these especially when he learns that these men, many of them have committed themselves and can leave whenever they want. Um, I think that his approach is to like help these guys. He's like, you guys can go. Many he's like, many of you are are okay. Whether they are or not you know is is debatable well i think he says they're no crazier than the regular assholes on the street or something like that yeah he says he says exactly that and again whether or not he's right is debatable but but his approach is like let's treat these men like adults let's treat them like people you know let's let's give them something you know let's let's raise the bar and they will meet it right versus you know treating them like infants or like children uh like like ratchet does because you know she she's got a ward to run you know she has to 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 hold control and of course this film is set it is set in 62 63 i I think the radio mentioned 63 at one point 63 yeah because the book was written in 62 the the, this is yet again another adaptation of a novel imagine that imagine that and so you know her approach is certainly flawed especially by today's standards um but the but these two butt heads right she doesn't seem to have the same sort of sympathy or empathy or or you know sort of 
truly emotional connection with these men that well she seems like to think it's a bureaucratic institution as opposed to a rehabilitation center right and and so the way i see nurse ratchet is that like her approach is about logic and if it's not logical then you should not do it right but i also don't see her i i did a little bit of reading about this film and i think that she's been read in a very sexist way where people see her as simply a hatchet woman you know or a battle axe woman um you know simply as someone who only represents bureaucracy and bureaucratic power that that is you know sort of unfeeling and evil but i do think that on some level there is that scene where she's in there with the other uh the all the other men the psychologists the doctors um and she says i think we can help him and i do think that she wants to help these people but her approach is is cold it is it's cold and it's logical and it's authoritarian and you know she's maintaining power in such a way that dehumanizes many of these men or at the very least infantilizes many of these men but i don't think that that is perhaps her end goal you know what i mean well it's interesting because what you brought up it with her with the other psychologists and experts she's i think we can help them i'm reading that ironically i see her playing this game right doing giving face to this this statement but really she sees this as a way to contain McMurphy. And we see that voice through, I believe the other orderly's name is Washington. Yeah, Washington. We kind of see this in Washington saying, you get out when we say you get out, right? right? Which actually adds so much significance to Chief's act at the end of the film where he right. suffocates McMurphy because he is lobotomized or apparently lobotomized. There's like a moment where you think like, Chief, how sure are you that McMurphy's not recovering from whatever stupor he's in? Maybe they right. just temporarily drugged him and no, he needs stitches. You, when you see those scars, though. When you yeah, I'm just saying, like, it's kind of like a movie thing, right? Like, right. no one's going to make that action in that moment necessarily well, and, the same way. And the film sets you up for that weird reveal because after they, the Chief and McMurphy and the other guy... The shock therapy. Yeah, they had the electroshock therapy. You know, McMurphy comes back and he like pretends to be all like zombified or whatever. And then he, you know, all the men are like, (gasps) and then McMurphy walks up and he turns to him and he's like, ah, and they're like, ah. Yeah, and what's important about that too is he winks to Chief before he does it. So he lets him in on the game. It doesn't happen this time. Chief kills him, thereby countermanding what Washington said to McMurphy. No, right. McMurphy can get out before you say. Right. There is this thing about freedom, right? And and even then, Chief, right before he smothers him, he says, you know, I'm I'm taking you with me. I'm taking exactly. you with me. You Such know? a powerful line, that moment. It is. Well, and, and of course, there is that whole thing that, you know, the, the, again, this film, we, we could probably do a two-hour episode on this film because of the complexities. And the, I mean, this is, a, this is a tour de force. This film is a triumph of filmmaking and um i i think we can we can take a second just to to think about like what that means for chief to say because when he talks about his his father his alcoholic father you know he says uh to mcmurphy like 
well, we can go, but you're so much bigger than me. And McMurphy's like, what are you talking about? And then he tells this whole story about his alcoholic father. And he mm-hmm. talks about how people shrink and grow, right? Um, and when he when he shows up at McMurphy's bedside, before he realizes he's been lobotomized, he's like, I feel so, he's like, I feel as tall as a mountain. And of course, the, ir- the irony of this whole thing is that Chief is a, you know, he's like 6'5 or something, 6'8". Who knows? He's a he's a ridiculously tall man, and so for him to say like you're you're taller than me to Jack Nicholson, right, is like a joke. Which is a moment I think is important to mention to kind of play this out all the way. Yeah. yeah. When Jack Nicholson tries to lift the water caddy or carriage or whatever it is, yeah, and it's all like piped up into the floor in the bathroom. He tries to bet everybody that he's going to throw out the window and escape and escape, and he can't do it, of course, because that's phenomenal feat of strength. And it's only when Chief realizes, you know, the loss of McMurphy, but also the fact that he's been empowered by McMurphy in this yes. way as well, that he does it. He could, maybe probably you could he argue he could it, always yeah. could have done it, but he does it because now he has the need or the motive to do it. And yeah. I thought that's just a really nice full circle for that. Well, and there and there is that thing, right? He's like, I, I feel as tall as a mountain right now, you know, and like... So, so what this film offers to us is that so much of our strength is about how we see ourselves, right? McMurphy isn't powerful because he's physically strong. He's powerful because he has charisma, because he has, you know, sort of, he has belief in himself, right? He has self-esteem, right? He's, he's able to do what he does. And he makes all these bets throughout the film with the other characters about like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get the nurse to quit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pick up the, the, the water therapy box and throw it out the window or whatever. And, and even when he fails, right, he still ends up being powerful because, you know, he can walk away from the other men and say, well, at least I tried. Right. Which is what he says after the, the water moment. You know, and then, and of course, that's what spurs the men the next day to all vote with him for the baseball game, which they, the day before, would not do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so there is this thing about, like, the way we perceive ourselves offers, uh, offers a lot of power, right? Power is something that we can control through our self um, projections or our self reflexivity, right? Like, the way we see ourselves defines how other people see our see us right well we also have to talk about the darker aspect of that in that Whoa. mcmurphy's not a very nice guy right and he's able to manipulate people in this way and that film i think or the film i think plays with that throughout in that is he doing this as a mere manipulation or is this actually a kind of therapy or recovery and right. you know i don't think we should go much farther because we're definitely overdue for our three questions so absolutely maybe we'll leave it at that and perhaps we should turn to our three questions yes let's okay before we do here's a message from anchor ethan matt what do we owe this film well there is no way that we can watch this film without thinking about the film adaptation of girl interrupted with winona ryder there is no way that we can think about this film without thinking about Orange is the New Black. Um, and and there's no way that we can think about this film without considering its influence on um, the 
I believe it's the second season of American Horror Story that's set in the in in the the mental institution. I think it's called Asylum, right? Asylum, yes. Um, there, all of those, you know, uh, stories ha- draw so much from this film. This film offers so much fodder for what comes after any any time you have an institutionalized character i mean even sort of the the story beats in something like um girl interrupted you know they go get ice cream they all leave the asylum to get ice cream which it echoes in so many ways the escape to to the boat or the or you know even when they don't go get ice cream but when they go and and leave with the the Lisa character played by Angelina Jolie, right? Like, there are so many echoes of this film in something like Girl Interrupted. There are so many echoes of this in American Horror Story Asylum. There are so many echoes in uh, whatever that other... Oh, uh, uh, Orange is the New Black, right? Because what this film does and what something like Orange is the New Black does is that it offers to us a complex view of its characters, None of them are all bad. None of them are all good. It challenges our our stereotypes, right? We, we by the end of this movie, when you see McMurphy lobotomized, it is it's a travesty, and and McMurphy is a bad guy. McMurphy mm-hmm. is a bad person, right? But despite all of that, we we want to see him succeed, or at least I did as a viewer. Right, I wanted to see him succeed, and he was trying. Yeah, in spite of ourselves, even. Yes, yes, and that, and and so much of that has to do with both. I mean, obviously the writing, but both Jack Nicholson's performance and this, the the cinematography in this film, the direction in this film, just the way things are visually presented to us force us to feel something for jack nicholson's character for my part i think you know i'd never seen this film before me neither but me neither. knowing the nurse ratchet sort of archetype you know very explicitly being connected to this film i've always yeah. heard allusion to her in different situations without really knowing anything about the movie i feel like there's a couple lines from this film that mm. we get i think the very early one that's a joke that's actually pretty good is that the doctor asks him why he thinks he's here and he says i guess i just fucking fight too much mm-hmm. and the doctor says in the penitentiary and then jack nicholson's like i mean no <laughs> it was just a, <laughs> it's like he was trying to do like a, a cool cool guy move and right. then just kind of get shut down and i found that to be hilarious and i know i've heard that before and i actually have another film more recent that I think owes a lot to this. And I think it's, it's, it maybe sounds initially pretty out there, but bear with me. Ethan, have you ever seen the ringer? The ringer? I don't think I have. It's Johnny Knoxville pretending to be special needs to join the special Olympics so that he oh, can no, it have, to win all the yeah, events. No, I, I have not seen that. And throughout the course of the film, it's a romantic comedy, but throughout the course of the film, he develops empathy for, his fellow Olympians. Yeah. I really don't know how well it holds up, but you know, I couldn't help but think of that movie while watching this film. 
And that was, you know, late 2000s, right? In the first decade of 2000s anyway. And I think that just says a lot about how important this film has been to a great many different kinds of films. And I think it all goes back to this idea, right? That like we get a character here who we otherwise should hate, right? We otherwise should see all of his flaws, but we don't. We, you know, we, we grow to, to care for this character, to empathize with this character, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's done so well that I think it has, it, it has broad application, right? I think that, that other films that try to do that same sort of thing, um, you know, would, would, would do best to imitate this film. Well, how about this, Ethan? Does it hold up? I think this film 100% holds up. I think that now I will say this, there, there's some racist shit. A lot of the shit with chief gets a little racist. There was another, there was another moment where there was some stuff that I was like, we don't say that anymore. But understanding this film already in 75 as a period piece being set in 63, right? Like, I think we can already understand it as a period piece where those sorts of things are are presented not as okay. They're presented as problematic, right? In the larger sense of this film. So... I think yes, as a period piece, it hold it holds up one hundred percent with a few you know sort of like little caveats. But the, man, the performances in this film, Matt, and the cinematography in this film, the you know especially at the beginning when they have these these close up shots of these characters that are just slightly out of focus, right? Um, the way the camera move the these little moves of the frame where it's not quite stable right these the 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 sort of slow uh close-ups right all of these things are so perfect so perfect and every performance is just ah it is hard to watch this film and not see the the genius in in the craftsmanship and that's and that's in both like things like cinematography design direction and and the and these these performances these you know these actors it even for actor danny devito is essentially a bit part but man his character is is compelling and is someone that adds layers and depth and um and like substance to this world there yeah Yes. The answer is yes for me. I would agree. I was very engaged with this film. I think I even had like a conscious thought like, wow, I'm really plugged into this film. Like yes, I started yeah. it and it was a couple minutes in and I was like, huh, really enjoying this. And then later throughout the film, thinking through, you know, our talk and what we need to, to cover, thinking about, well, this is Philip pulled up. And I think, yeah, I mean, the story holds up phenomenally. You know, I care a lot about Good story, solid story. I think when you have something based on a book and it's a good book, it seems like a lot easier to do that. And certainly we have some thoughts that AFI might privilege those kinds of stories over others, which maybe that just feeds into my own bias for that. But 
I think it holds up really well story-wise. I think performance is really good, especially Jack Nicholson. So yeah, absolutely. Which just leaves us with one question, Ethan. Do we care about this? Absolutely. I think we have to care about this film. I think that this film asks us to empathize with characters that might otherwise be quote-unquote undesirables, right? People that we write off, people that we stick in institutions right people that we 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 get rid of or we look over because they are inconvenient um or or whatever right i think this film asks us to see the world in some way from their eyes maybe not every character right but but many of them right this this film desperately asks for empathy and and it pits two characters against each other you know, and and I would I would absolutely argue that these characters are, you know, an immovable force or, or sorry, an immovable object and an unstoppable force, right? In Jack Nicholson's McMurphy, um, and in uh, what's her name's uh, Nurse Ratchet, and it asks us to say like, do we see the world only in terms of logic and rules and you know decorum, um, or do we see a world that is empathetic and a little chaotic and a little unordered um and perhaps violent but but empathetic right but one that like sees humans as humans that sees everyone as human i definitely care about this film because of the story of my emotional engagement with it with with it i think as you mentioned there seems to be something about giving voice to the subaltern or at yes, least yes. empathizing with a subaltern. I mean, you think of someone who's committed in a mental institution and their speech is just sort of de facto written off. Yeah. And I think that's been complicated in very good ways in this film. And I think yeah. it's also just really enjoyable to watch on several levels. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'll say this, do, you know, if, to, to think about this question, do we care about this film? There have not been, I mean, there have been, again, this, this list is full of fantastic films, you know, there have been so many films on this list that, you know, have elicited emo an, an emotional reaction from me. And there have been many that have not, but this was one example in particular where I watched this film and you know, to get up to pee or to get up to, you know, grab another snack or to refill my, you know, my glass of water um, or whatever was like painful. Like I found myself stopping myself and saying like, I can't pause the film now. I need to get to the end of this scene, you know, or I can't, you know, I know I've got to the end of the scene, but like, this next scene is going to be really important. And so like, I'll hold it, you know, and that's not an experience I've had with a lot of films on this list. You know what I mean? Like there, there are, there have been very few that have been like deeply captivating. And this is one of them. This is one that was so, I mean, I wish I had seen this in a theater because then that, you know, that stops a lot of my impulse to like get up and pee or whatever, or get up and like, you know, get some more popcorn or whatever, you know, cause I have my, my little air popper or whatever. This is a film that, yeah, I care deeply about it. It's so beautiful. It's so strong. It's so, it's, it is a tour de force. Like it is a 
masterpiece of filmmaking with with actors that don't stop right and at the very least we can see this as a master class in how to make a film like how to make a film where not not actually a lot plot wise happens and you know and we don't there this is not a marvel film there are not people there is no spectacle or at least whatever spectacle in this film is it is small right and the world of this film is small this could you know this this was uh performed as a as a play right on stage and like this is something that is like you can see this on the stage and and it this is more powerful than any marvel film we've we've looked at or any you know one of these big giant you know um sensational action films we've seen this this film has so much power in with so little and so in and of itself i think that that's worth caring about this film well i'm glad you enjoyed it but we are so far overdue way over time i know bah! so we are going to call it here we'll be back next week on patreon for the generous patrons of the arts and then in two weeks we'll return ethan two weeks from now we are doing something actually very different than we have been doing on the AFI Top 100 Canonical List. Oh no, is this uh, what I think it is? Is this yes. our sequel? Yes, we are skipping a film because yes. number 32 on the list is The Godfather Part 2. Part 2. But The Godfather, the first one, doesn't show up until number 2 on the list. And so rather than watch it now, we are going to wait and we'll watch Godfather Part 1. And then Godfather Part 2, before we finish, was Citizen Kane. So instead, we're jumping to number 31. And number 31 is the Maltese Falcon. Right, the Maltese Falcon. And this this truly is unprecedented for us in the podcast, right? We are straight up skipping a film and, and essentially making a double episode, you know, basically 30 films from now. And this is the only way to do it, because if we were to do it any other way, we would either have to watch a film out of order or ask our listeners to watch a film that we would talk about later, whatever, what have you. So we are, yeah, we're going to jump over one. So we'll be back for that. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. You're going with me, spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.